Welcome to the Events Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Taylor, and each week I talk with event entrepreneurs about how they plan, promote, and run their events. We help you build your events empire by growing your business using live events. Whether you're running community meetups, conferences, trade shows, IT training, music events, or literally any type of event, we focus on finding actionable tips that you can use straight away. The podcast is sponsored by Apps Events. We produce over 300 of our own events across the globe every year, from training to conferences, and we're now sharing our expertise to a small group of event professionals. There's a couple of ways we can help you. Firstly, we can run the logistics for your event. We have a whole support team who can handle all the heavy lifting for you. We can help set up your website and agenda, liaise with your speakers, deal with the huge volume of questions you'll get from attendees, we can liaise with venues, and we can come to the event to actually run it for you on the ground. Get in touch with james at appsevents.com and we'll jump on a call to see if we can help. Secondly, I offer one-on-one coaching to help event entrepreneurs grow their events. I want you to get more attendees, produce epic events, make more money, and most importantly, to do it all with no stress. So just email me at dan at appsevents.com and we'll jump on a call. And now, on to the interview. Welcome to the podcast. Today, delighted to be talking to Damien Thompson. He is a sales expert, I guess, as a salesman himself and as a sales manager and also as a sales coach. He's done a lot of roles in everything to do with selling and teaching selling. Uh, I know him, Damien, from a group we're both in called the Dynamite Circle. I've mentioned it before. And we were just talking. I think I met you like four years ago, Damien, from something like the last time in Bangkok. I think the last time you you went to the conference. Yeah, I think 2016 in Bangkok. We went, went every year for a while there. Uh, got harder, obviously, with the uh, kids and that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, looking forward to it coming back hopefully next year. Sure. Yeah, I've, I've got two kids now. So I just took my kids to Bangkok last time, just stayed for right. two months. <laughs> but look, <laughs> That's the way to welcome, it. To, welcome to the podcast, David. It's great to have you here. Happy to be um, here. Yeah. So we were just chatting beforehand. Um, I'd like to get into your background a bit before because I know you've done a lot of interesting stuff. You've lived in a lot of kind of a quite exciting places. I know you were in Davao for a while, which is kind of a bit like the Wild West of, of Philippines. So do you want to yeah. go through a bit about your background and how you ended up out in Asia and meeting a lot of the people we both know? Sure, yeah. So I mean, I'm a bit of a weirdo in the fact that, um, so I'm half Australian, half American. Uh, so mum's an Aussie, dad's a Yank. So we, you know, I, which is interesting because, you know, you wouldn't tell with this thick American accent and everything else. But, you know, I mean, I kind of grew up a bit with that immigrant kind of feeling when I, you know, I moved to America with an accent and, you know, being the different one and the special one. And so I think that kind of set me up to be a little bit unique, a little different, being okay, not being part of the crowd. And then I'd go back and visit Australia every couple of years, you know, I'd go spend, you know, kind of summers there. And so I had this kind of passion to kind of not just be stuck in one place. And so when I was 18, I uh, went to college, uh, then dropped out to join the army during Desert Shield. And so I spent a couple of years overseas doing that and really kind of put in this idea that I really love this, you know, we didn't call it location independence back then, but this idea of, you know, building a life around being able to pick up a move every 12, 18, 24 months or whatever. And so uh, inadvertently, I don't think it wasn't, it wasn't that clear at first, but you know, I, when I started getting into the kind of career field, I'm a salesperson. I love sales. You know, I started selling in my high school and door to door sort of thing. And, um, you know, even though I thought I was going to focus on computer science as uh, what I went to school for, because I'm a bit of a nerd too, uh, what turned out was I really enjoyed selling the software more than building the software. And so kind of, you know, got into involved in that. And then kind of fell into this career where I was an entrepreneur, even though we didn't call it that back in the days of big companies. So for example, now I went to Australia in 1998 and I was the first employee for one of their software lines called Network Associates, uh, or sorry, for Sniffer Technologies, which was a network bandwidth testing tool. Um, and then essentially what would happen is every two years or so I'd be dropped into some new country where there was some, you know, small, tiny existing relationship. And then my job was to build a team, build a sales team, you know, grow revenue and kind of build essentially these little mini businesses around the world in these kind of countries that weren't America, because these are American country companies for the most part. So, you'd, you'd go and live in, in the country or the one you opened. Yeah. Up, so I like, you know, moved to Australia. I was in Sydney for a couple of years, then uh, got a job with Trend Micro. And they moved me down to New Zealand and I was the kind of the country manager down there. And then went back to Australia to kind of fix the Australian enterprise business and then went to India for about a year. And so essentially it was, hey, this is a region that's underserved or, you know, needs a turnaround and um, let's send Damien to go do that. And so I kind of got this career doing that and loved it, was passionate about it, was something I was really a fan of. And at the time I had this real clear goal. I wanted to be VP of of worldwide sales for a Fortune 500 software company by the time I was 40. That was my goal. It's probably the, the clearest goal I've ever had in my life. 
Um, and I drove towards it. And as I got closer and closer to it, I realized I didn't want it. Right. And so yeah. I didn't want that job. I realized I didn't like working in big companies. I didn't like the farther up I got, the less authentic I felt you could be, uh, the less, you know, the more rules got involved, the more it was a lot of corporate speak and all this kind of nonsense and politics and um, all the stuff I, I like selling to, but didn't like, didn't like living day to day. And so I uh, say I burned the suit and tie in 2010 uh, and said, hey, I'm going to go be a weirdo. And I'd been listening to you know Dan and Ian on the Lifestyle Business Podcast. I, Chris Ducker at the time had uh, Outfield for the Philippines was his podcast. Yeah. And so I said, I'm going to go to the Philippines and figure out how to build this kind of back office sales outsourcing kind of service. And so moved to the Philippines in early 2011. Um, and then, yeah, spent the next couple of years there figuring out what I couldn't, couldn't do online. Um, you know, at the time, you know, it was you, the idea of kind of being like traveling the world and working where it was, was happening, you know, but running business was still pretty hard. You know, it was hard to kind of convince someone, Hey, jump on a Skype call, which was really the only kind of voice you could do online. And Hey, let me, you know, build a sales team for you from the other side of the world. You know, when people were still really, you know, in love with their office space and, and this yeah, idea yeah. that you had to manage by walking around and, you know, I sell to the tech space. And so in that space a lot, there's all these really bad, principles that Silicon Valley created that, you know, that were just really rock hole. And so I couldn't figure it out. So I started selling services, right? Saying, Hey, I'm going to build some service agencies, find, find needs in the market. And then but the idea being grow them big enough to build sales teams. The thing I'm passionate about. Of course. Cause yeah, obviously yeah. I'm to the Philippines, uh, Jane and Glenn, I work with, been with me for like eight years now in, in Cebu. So I, I go to Cebu every year. Yep. Um, and you ended up in Davao, which I'm, I'm kind of, I, I want to visit. I've always been fascinated by Davao because it seems like such kind of an edgy place. But like, how did yeah. you get there? Was that, was that a decision? And, and did you, a second question as well, did you set up a whole company there? Did you go for the whole hustle of setting up a Philippines? No. Company? Yeah. Great whole question. Yeah. So I'll, I'll slow down. So yeah. So, Get, so I get to the, uh, the Philippines in 2011. Um, the whole gig was, and this is through the Top of MBA guys, uh, through yeah. a guy named Sean who owned a, a resort in, uh, in a small little island. Yeah, yeah. So, so we, the goal was at the time, you know, Sean was kind of running this resort, but wasn't, wasn't very tech savvy. So I moved into WordPress and added him to Agoda and all this kind of stuff. But the idea was I'd spend two or three hours a day working on his business and then figure out what I wanted to do in my business. Sure. Right? And so it was a great little, great model for that. So I spent a couple months there and that was fine. But when it was time for me to move on, I didn't want to stay in Port Aguilera. You know, it's a bad internet, you know, hot, all that kind of stuff. And so I actually moved to Cebu was the first place I moved. Uh, one, Chris Ducker was still there at the time. I uh, had known Chris kind of online at the time. And so moved there to, uh, kind of to, to kind of check him out a bit, as well as uh, Louis Corti, who was a DC that I was kind of traveling through Asia with. We just decided we want to check out Cebu, went to Cebu. Liked it, ended up getting a client while I was in Cebu where I was working nights. I think we talked about this earlier. So they were a US based company. And so I was working right. nights. And so just you feel like a zombie. I'd work till six o'clock in the morning, you know, go to McDonald's to get my chicken and rice uh, for 50 pesos and, you know, and kind of my breakfast every morning and then come back and, you know, try to do any kind of, you know, normal hours for me, try to do whatever, you know, daily tasks I had to do. It just felt like I wasn't getting much done. So it was really kind of depressed, to be honest. This is around Christmas time of that 2011. And Dan and Ian, uh, Dan specifically, kept saying, look, you got to go to DeVal. There's these two guys down there, uh, Justin and Joe from the AdSense Flippers at the time, oh, who, are doing, yeah, yeah, who are doing some really cool, interesting things. Uh, you'd love them. <clears throat> there are people. You got to go check them out. And frankly, I was a little bit – I'm a bit of a – a bit of a hipster in that if everyone likes something, I don't like it automatically, right? So it's just, it's just kind of my, my default state a little bit. And so I'm cynical, I guess. And so I've been hearing these great things about DeVal from a lot of my friends that were going down there, but they were more the kind of travel guys, the travel bloggers, the party lifestyle kind of people. And I was like, yeah, I'm not really looking for a party lifestyle. I mean, I'll find a party wherever I am. And so I'm really looking for to build something. I'm trying to figure out what, how I'm going to you know, build some, my little empire online. And so, but eventually... Um, you know, get a little lonely on Christmas time. I reached out to Joe um, and said, hey, Dan, so I got to come down. want to check you out. He said, sure, come on down, buddy. No problem. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll hook you up. And so he came down. At the time, Joe was working on uh, a great story about Deval. I'll tell you in a second about he was getting fit for a, a boxing match. Um, and so we, um, uh, he was working out. So I ha started hanging out with his roommate, who's also his business partner, Justin. And we just hit it off like a house on fire. Just, you know, he's ex-Navy. I was ex-Army. We had a lot of same worldviews. We had a lot of same business views. And we just kind of spent all day talking. Joe and Justin were lovely. Actually, let me stay with them for about a month, which was great. Mm -hmm. So get my feet. And so just end up falling in Deval, not for Deval so much, but for the community. 
you know, it was so, them. There was Daniel. There was a couple other people down there. Uh, Dan used to pop in all the time. And so it was just a really good fraternal community of people trying to figure out how to make this online business thing work. Right. And so, um, but yeah, Deval was great. And so what I loved about the Philippines, a couple things. The first is, and this is going to sound, you know, cliche or, you know, racist, I guess a little bit, but positively racist is that the nicest people in the world. Like, I mean, I just, I tell you, I just, I, I've not been to a place where there's, Oh my God, like just the, just the nicest, sweetest people across the board that I've, I've met are Filipinos. And, you know, there's a reason why I think in America, they're, I, I mean, get these numbers wrong, but it's something like this. It's like they're less than point, they're less than half a percent of the population, but they're like 10% of the nurses in America are Filipino descent. Like there's just right. something about like right. the caregiving nature. Like there's a culturally, it's, it seemed to be like they take care of the family, they have extended families. There's just, there's also, I love that about that. That was yeah. one thing. The other is it is a bit of the wild, wild east in that you can kind of do whatever you want, right? If you've got, you know, not, nothing negative or bad, but that kind of, you can do a lot of things you couldn't do anywhere else as long as you're keep a positive attitude and you're willing to pay for it. So for example, two of my friends, Joe and then and Daniel had an exhibition boxing match where I got to be an MC and actually do the ring announcing and, and announce. And we had the Filipino national boxing team. We were there. I mean, the whole thing was a couple hundred dollars. We ran out this huge gym. We had advertising. We were on the radio. Like we had a couple hundred Philippine local locals came in. They could watch for free. And it was just amazing. So we literally had a little I boxing exhibition. I online and yeah. Joe got, yeah. he got in amazing shape, didn't he? I mean, he got he properly got like amazing really shape. Well, I think Joe's like me and that, you know, we need goals to, well, I, I mean, yeah. I know I'm out of shape and 20 pounds too fat right now but who cares right but if i had to go you know get in a ring with somebody you know if i was if i was wrestling again or something like that and absolutely i get in shape but uh, yeah. but those kind of things your events were like island hopping you know for 100 bucks you'd take a boat all day and you're spear fishing and going from island to island it's like like there's a there's some magic about you know these kind of underserved developing countries yeah, yeah, that yeah. you can if you're willing to live like you can really have a really full rich life which is again why i loved it so much uh, end up leaving just as I kind of outgrew it a bit. And again, was looking to kind of grow this business. And at the time, Saigon was the new hotness. So moved to Saigon looking for, again, I come from this kind of startup-y software background. And so I had gone there and, and there was something going on there, but it still wasn't enough. And then landed a gig uh, kind of as a consultant, building an inside sales team for an Australian company actually, and moved to Austin, Texas, and was there for about a little over a year uh, right. building that. So but, you know, the long and short of it, I've had a bunch of different companies, a bunch of different ways of offering it. But my thing is, you know, I, I help non-sales founders, generally technical or creative people, learn how to create systems or processes for them to sell better at first. But more importantly, to build the foundation to hire a team eventually to do the selling and support and what I call revenue team. So lead gen, sales, and then customer success. Excuse me. Um, but uh, so, you know, that offering has changed quite a bit, but the, the fundamentals haven't, which is... You know, I believe that sales is the most important, you know, kind of function of a business without sales, there's no revenue without revenue, there's no business. Um, but it's one that most entrepreneurs are like, not the, the least likely to learn, right? They're afraid of it. They don't like it. They have a negative connotation to it. So a lot of time I'm the head shrink where I've got to kind of convince them that sales is not a four letter word, right? That is actually an important part of their business and set up processes. But more importantly, that if you want to go from being a, you know, you know, kind of self-employed to an actual business owner, you need other people delivering your service and you need other people selling your service, right? So, Those are kind of the two sides, yeah. It's true. I mean, when I started my kind of entrepreneurial journey, which was, I guess, well, I, I was a contractor. And then when I started actually my own business, which was 2004, um, so 16 years ago, we're recording this 2020. Uh, I, you know, I had, I had a business partner in my first business, still a good friend of mine. And like, he, he just couldn't sell. And so I became the sales guy because he didn't, he couldn't do it. And, right. and I was, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd kind of, sold in like kind of you know i was a, i was a, a contractor i was always selling trying to get new contracts and i i actually quite liked it you know and I, I still sell in this business i think it's sales is one of those things where when you have a bit of success you just you're like yeah and you get you get yeah. fired up and then you do more and more and but if you go through a period without any success like in the beginning it's just like soul crushing you know yeah <laughs> I, I think, think it, was, you know so, yeah, sorry. Yeah, it's definitely. It, it, I think that the like this idea of a natural born salesperson is, is nonsense, right? It's a skill. It's a it's a profession. You have to get good at. But what I will say is, personality type wise, if you if you enjoy endorphin rushes, then I'm an endorphin rush kind of guy. You know, it's a it's something I like. It, it's highs and lows. It's a roller coaster, all that kind of stuff. But I find a lot of times that entrepreneurs who don't think they like it like it a lot more than they think they do because I think part of us part of the reason we're drawn to entrepreneurship is. A, this idea that we can do something better than someone else or that we can't, that we're kind of, you know, don't want a boss or we want to do our own way. But also 
part of us likes that roller coaster. Part of us likes yeah. the highs and lows. Part of us likes the feeling, right? Like it's the it's there's something to that. I think that there's underneath the psychological stuff, and I think that sales offers that on smaller bite sized doses, right? So mm-hmm. hey, you win, you lose, you, and it feels good. I mean, I've been selling for thirty plus years. I still get a rush when someone says yes to me. Right? It still feels good sure. when someone says yes, right? It just does, right? And so uh, what's happened over time is I've learned how to make the nose not hurt so bad, right? And so I think that's kind yeah. of the key is let the let the yeses still feel good, right? And the nose not feel so bad right and if you get to that point then i think things are you know you're you're feeling much better so definitely and i want in a minute get into some of some of the stuff about selling for events but you know i guess you can give me your opinion on this i mean one thing i saw was like when i when i was selling 2004 2005 2006 i was cold calling all the time that was kind of the staple of of what i did you know i mean i was i was Mm -hmm. linkedin wasn't really a big thing at least not for me maybe it was but i I wasn't i mean i was on but i was on linkedin but i wasn't prospecting enough maybe i should have been but not 2004. In 2004, LinkedIn was a, was a resume site. That's all it was. So yeah, yeah. Make, but yeah, I, but yeah. I really like, but now it seems like, maybe I'm wrong, but it seems like people just don't cold call at all. It seems like it's all about, you know, do, creating a funnel. Am, am I wrong? Are people still cold calling or has, has that gone? Well, no, they're 100%. They, people still are. People are having success still are, but you're right. Yeah. People don't. So, you know, when I, there's always an industry for charlatans to tell you not to do the thing you don't want to do. Right. Whatever it is. Right. So, Hey, you want to eat all the bacon you want to eat? Great. There's a diet for that. You want to eat all the sugar you want to eat? There's a diet for that. So there's a whole industry and everything about that. And so in the sales industry, historically, that's always been one, right? So even before entrepreneurship, things like, you know, never cold call again was a famous book back 20 plus years ago when I was in sales. So, you know, selling someone a dream of not doing the hard things is always there. The reality is the hard things are, they work, right? And so I look at cold calling absolutely works. If you do it right, it's hard to do, right? But you have to do it right. Here's the other thing. It's actually easier to do a lot now that, you know, I, I push a button and I, and my something calls. I don't need to dial a phone. I don't need to kind of go out and do things. So there's actually, the act of it is easier. The mental aspect might be even harder, right? Because I yeah. was telling you, you don't, you don't have to do it. You don't have to do it. You don't have to do it. And you don't have to do anything. But the challenge is that there's, A, you've got the charlatans that are just willing to take your money by telling you a, a bill of goods that isn't real. But then you actually have, to have like some legitimate people. So, you know, I'm a co-founder of a company called LeadFuse. We are a B2B lead data platform. When we started, we actually did both the lead data, but also the outbound email. So you could actually automate kind of your outbound email for cold email. Um, because I've had nothing but success using cold email my entire career. Like, you know, I, my, I, 10 years ago, I cold emailed Rob Walling. That's how now he's an investor in one of my businesses. He's been a client and everything. And so like, I could point to hundreds of success stories about me cold emailing. I'm still a huge fan today. However, here's what happens. Like in all things, marketers ruin everything, right? And so yeah. as soon as we make something easy to do and mass scale, it means more people do it, they do it less effectively and it becomes less effective overall. So the days of sending an email, I mean, 10 years ago, I could cold email someone and say, hey, you've made a mistake on this page of your website. You know, here's a link to book a time with me and I'll talk to you. And I have a 10% meeting rate. Like literally 10% of people got that email, would click that and would book a meeting with me. Those days are far gone, right? I mean, I can't even get a 10% reply rate on most of these emails today. So like the efficacy of those programs changes. And so what you have to do is change with it. And so what works today in Outbound is omni-channel, which is a fancy way of saying multiple touch points, right? So LinkedIn, cold email, cold call, you know, physical mail, whatever, but like the, the more you can touch them across multiple different channels and multiple different messaging around the same core concepts is the more success you're going to have. And the easy way to think of this, if it's easy to do, everyone's doing it. It's not very effective. If it's hard to do and you're getting results, it's probably worthwhile doing. Now you have to figure out what that looks like in your business and how, what makes sense, what doesn't make sense. But I would say outbound always works if you do it right. And I believe a big part of outbound is the call. But here's what I say, don't do. Don't just go put 200 phone numbers again and start banging out phone calls. Like the call should be like a, 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 a planned part of your of your cadence. So, okay, yeah. the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to send an email, a customized, uh, you know, a, an email that's templated but still has some customization to the customer. Then once I see they've opened that email, okay, now I know I've got a real person that's actually reading my email. Now, they'll get a, a Loom video, which is like a recording maybe, a personalized recording, 30 seconds, 60 seconds, right? The next day, I'll reach out to them to add them as a connection on LinkedIn. The next day, I'll call them. That's, that's the sorry, next so, day... Yeah. You're, you're saying a lot of... So much good stuff is coming really fast. Right. I want to jump in. Right. So are right. you saying a good way to do this? I'm thinking of myself. You, you, right. you send them an email, and yep. then you save a Loom thing. So let's say I, I see someone potentially a sponsor for one of my events, right? Then I make a short video, like 15 seconds, 20 seconds, a minute, whatever. And I say, hey, I've looked at your website. I've looked at what you do. Here's what we do. Here's why I think it could be a good fit. And I, and I send them that video. Yes. Yeah. So here's a great so here, idea. I've never even thought yeah. of it. So here's how I use cold email. So the cold email tools these days. So the idea of like kind of mass sending. And so 
customization is key, but like when I say customization, I mean more than just merge tags, right? I mean, actually like customizing the message. However, that's hard to do at scale. So I always suggest to people at first, they do it, they hand do it, right? So, and, and make it easy on yourself. Just set aside an hour every day and it's, and, and it's just 20. I'm at for tw I'm, I'm going to email 20 people, right? And for them, I'm going to go spend, you know, I'm going to find three things in three minutes, three by three. I'm going to go to the LinkedIn site. I'm going to find, you know, what they're, where they're currently working, kind of what their kind of role looks like, possibly maybe that sort of thing. And think of some sort of insight that's just specific to them. And then I'm going to email them. Now, how I would use mass tools would be, would be, okay, I've built a list of people that match my ideal customer profile. I want to email, you know, say 50 of them, right? Yeah. Of the 50, the days of expecting, and you'll still hear people promising like 40% reply rates, it's, it's nonsense for the most part. So expect, you know, you know, all I want them is to raise their hand in two ways. Say, A, I'm here, and B, I have some interest in what you're saying. So I send kind of an email that's like, hey, you know, Dan, when I talk to other kind of people that are in the kind of events business, here's the two things they say are the biggest problem for them right now. One, COVID has made a huge reduction in kind of in-person in events, you know, and B, trying to drive, create value from, you know, a, a live events or online events, sorry, you know, which of those A or B is important to you and then send it off, right? Not expecting a huge response rate, but expecting to see, okay, of the 100 I sent, 40 people opened it. Okay, so I now know those 40 people are real live people, right, that are receiving my email. So that's my new subset. Then they'll get an email that says, hey, if your challenge was, you know, hey, turning your live events online, here's a link to a resource, right? And put a hyperlink to some resource we've created for that. And the idea being, anyone that clicks on that link, essentially what they're doing is raising their hand and saying, hey, I have interest in this. Not, I, not, I want you to sell me something yet, but I have interest yeah. in this topic and this idea. So that person now, to me, that's, they're going to get most of my attention. So yeah. now what I'm going to do, let's just say you click on a link. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to your LinkedIn page. I'm going to go to your website. I'm going to shoot a Loom video. I think it's use Loom or getloom.com. There's a bunch of them out there, Vidyard or whatever. I don't care. But the cool thing is essentially it takes a little tiny screen capture uh, in, the kind, in the bottom corner of my face, but then it's yeah. a screen share. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to send you a video where I'm on your website, my little head in the bottom corner on your website. And I'm going to send to you, Dan, man, just spent, 10, spent a couple minutes on your website. Really love this. You know, I've worked with my you know, Google, Google in the past or yeah, whatever, yeah. something specific to you, right? And say, look, here's what we do. We help companies solve problem A or problem B, right? It looks like you might have one of those problems. You know, if, if you don't, that's fine. Just do a quick reply to this email would be great. And we can find out whether I can send you some free resources. You know, I'm not going to ask for a call. I'm not going to ask, I'm not going to offer a free assessment or any of these kind of things that are just code for a sales call. I'm just going to yeah. kind of try to deliver value, right? And so when I send that to you, it does a bunch of things. First is, there's no way I'm saying that to anybody else but you, right? So I've already passed the human test there, right? So now you are, everyone listening to this is probably inundated with bad emails from people that pretend to know them or, you know, pretend that I have an answer for you and have done nothing to stand out from the crowd. I'm standing out from the crowd because I've used video, which, which humanizes it. I'm talking yeah. only to you, which makes it personal to you. So these are the kind of things you're doing. And that to me is what is successful. And then from there, deliver value, you reply back. Yeah, I'd love to see some of that stuff. Great. Send you whatever the, the thing is and say, look, in 15 minutes, we'll know whether I can help you or not, right? And so, and the best part will be at the end of 15 minutes, even if I can't help you, I'll point you in the right direction. Here's a link to book a time with me and you'll see your meeting rates will go way up because again, you started with value, right? I started with value. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I started personalized. I wasn't just kind of, I wasn't, I, I think there's three sales that happen in, sale, in B2B selling. The first I've asked for your time, right? That's the first sale. I got to convince you to give me some of your time. Second sales, I got to convince you to give me your attention. So not just show up, but actually pay attention to what I'm saying or, or read what I ask, what I send you. Like, and the third is money. Give me your money, right? Yeah. So those, we focus on that third sale a lot, right? Where yeah, the first yeah. two sales are actually harder, right? If, if you're talking to the founder of a business or the owner, maybe you know, it matters, but everybody else, if you're talking to a VP or below, you know, a, a C-suite or below, they don't really care about make money, save money, which is the B2B pitch, right? What they care about is themselves, their self-interest. How do they get measured? What does success yeah. look like for them, yeah, right? Yeah, and so yeah. when we kind of, you know, to them, their time and attention is much more valuable than money because that money is not theirs. It's not like they're pulling out their personal credit card to slap down, right? They're writing a check yeah, yeah, yeah. with your company's money. So yeah. that's the easy part of the sale. Their time and attention is the hard part. But yet that's the part that almost all of us ask for way too early, right? With no real reason to. And we're asking it the same way that everybody else and we're competing with everyone else. So if you're running an events business and it has a, a real clear outcome, cool. Your competitor isn't your, you know, other people that do that in your field. Your competitor is every other person that's asking for that person's time and attention. 
their family, sure. their employees, their boss, their everything else. And so yeah. if you don't stand out, you're not going to win. And that's the problem. We don't see it that way. And so I think that's one of the big mental shifts I help people have is like your, your goal is to deliver value enough that you can get their time and attention. So even if they don't become customers, there's a value transaction that's happened. So, you know, because they're the ones that'll come back to you three months later, six months later, 12 months later, or they'll recommend you to someone else. Or, hey, I was just talking to someone about this a couple months ago. And they're awesome because they didn't push to sell something when I wasn't ready and all those kind of things. So, yeah, yeah. And that's the other thing. I think the one thing I've, I've been pretty good at, I mean, obviously no one's ever perfect, but I think one of the things people undervalue is just always staying in touch with people, you know, all, yep. through the years. I mean, I've still got people from, from 20 years ago, I'm still in touch with, you know, and I think it, it it's, it's really useful because it's, it's amazing how many times somebody will come to an event like five years later, you know, maybe they go to one event or come to another five years later, or, or they, maybe they never came to an event and they will, you know, I think that long term is definitely worth spending some time on, I think as well. It is. And you know, it's hard, you know, it, it, I mean, it, it's, again, I think this is one of the, the things that people just get absolutely 180 degrees wrong about selling. Like the selling is not about applying pressure, right? Selling is not about trying to trick someone into buying something. Selling is problem solving. It's trying to figure out, you know, what does this person need? Am I the right solution for them? Am I not right? Is it the right time for them? Is this important enough? Is this a priority? Like it's all these kind of things to figure out. But if you are taking an owner mindset of, hey, I'm building this thing for the long term, right? You don't need to burn it. We're not, you know, this is not in the 1950s. We're not going town to town selling aluminum siding and we're you know, tricking suckers into buying our thing and moving on to the next town with no plan on coming back ever again, right? The, the internet is actually, our, our worlds are tiny corners of the internet most times. And you're going to run into these people over and over again. And so if you're building your business for the long term, deliver value, you know, just, you, they'll come back. And it's hard to bank on that, right? It's hard to go get a business loan on, hey, I'm goodwill, obviously. But, you know, if you're not thinking of the short term, then I think it's absolutely the way to build. And I do it today. I have people that, you know, weren't a good fit, you know, two, three years ago and whatever my offering was, my offerings changed, they've changed, you know, things have changed and they will come back and say, okay, I think I'm ready now. Let's talk. Right. And so, uh, but that doesn't happen if I push, 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 because then I'm a nuisance. Now I'm, I'm getting the, I go into the do not, you know, you know, the ignore pile, right. Rather than the value pile. So. Sure. Cool. So yeah, lo loads of great information, there, uh, Damien. So I guess sales, I mean, like I mentioned before the podcast, all kinds of people listen to this, but, but I think, you know, mostly I'd say it's people running small conferences, large meetups, some training events, probably conferences is, is the most common thing yeah. here, you know? And I, I mean, you know, most people listen to this will have figured out some sales because they've, they've run an event, you know? Uh, I'm keen to know if you've just got um, any kind of fundamentals with selling for events, what you've seen. Obviously, you've got attendees and you've got sponsors or or exhibitors, typically you need the attendees to get the exhibitors, so you've got to focus on the attendees. Like, do you have any, anything you've seen with events of kind of just, I don't know, an yeah. anecdote or, or anything you've seen kind of sure. work? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, will, I will say, you know, that looking through the lens of my, 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 my specialty is B2B, um, so yeah. I can help more on the sponsor side probably than the, you know, selling direct ticket side. But right. what I'll say is overall that I'm well, an event show. Well, it can be B2B. If you get like, you know, one company might sure. send 20 people, you know. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And look, and, and, you know, I mean, I'm an events junkie. I love events. Like, I mean, li live, I think is it's a, it's where I personally enjoy I, that the, I get yeah, the energy, all that kind of good stuff. And so, you know, end of last year when I made some decisions on kind of my business model in a couple of days and kind of some separation of brands and all kinds of stuff, my, my, my business plan for 2020 was here are the 10 events that I'm either going to speak at, have a booth at, or in some way be more than just an attendee. This is a great plan all planned out. Of course, that fell to the white side come February. Um, but, you know, so I'm a huge events person. I've attended a lot. And I'll say that, you know, the ones that do the best, like I'm thinking all things are, the ones that have clear value propositions. And the value yeah. proposition will change, obviously, for the exhibitor versus the sponsor versus the attendee. Um, but the clearer that value prop, the better, right? And, <clears throat> and you know, going back to my kind of cardinal rule, my Damianism number one, which is all interest is self-interest, is understanding that how you position that changes. So, you know, if I'm talking to a a brand who I'm thinking want to be a sponsor, but who I'm talking to is the brand owner, right? So this is maybe the product manager or the product owner or the marketing owner for that business. Um, sorry. Oh. Um, but, uh, you know, whoever that person is, how would they get measured? Like what, what matters to them, right? Yeah. Is it is it they've got so much budget they have to spend and they're just trying to find out how to allocate it? Is it they've got a very finite budget and they're trying to find the best bang for a buck? Like, you know, what? It, how are they going to go back at the end of this and say to their boss, look, I'm a champion, right? I did this great thing. Look at this results we've had. And so think of it that, thinking of like, just empathy, I think, is the biggest thing, right? So saying, okay, that's what they want. Now an attendee, what do they want, right? What's, what, what's, a, what's a win for them? Is it, is it you know, they're going to come learn a bunch of stuff? Maybe. 
Probably not though, right? Probably it's, hey, they're going to make relationships in the hallway. They're going to build either straight up business relationships, personal relationships. Um, maybe sometimes I think that, you know, one of the soft things that we don't mes message a lot, you know, but it's true is, you know, they're great, you know, recruiting slash job hunting events a lot of times. So let yeah, me go yeah, see yeah. Who, who other cool people in the space that I feel I'm an expert in or that I want to be focused on are out there, right? Let's go start building those relationships. So, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. focusing on that more than, hey, look, we got Seth Godin to talk. Yeah, cool. Awesome. Right. But, and Seth's awesome. I love him, but I can go listen to him anywhere. Really. There's no, I don't get to go be on stage with him. Right. And so I'm not going to talk to Seth in the hallway. Right. Probably. So like, you know, is that the thing I should be selling or should I be selling? Hey, you know, there's, you know, of the hundred of the 500 people coming, 20% of them are, you know, CEOs who say they're hiring in the next 12 months. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. You know I'm saying like, like that's that now that that has some value. So having a real clear understanding of what that attendee wants. That, that's something I've often thought, like how, you described it very well. Like there's, there's like two sales. There's like presume, presuming the person who's coming, their company is going to, or school in my case, is going to pay for it. There's two sales. One is how can they justify to that? Whoever they've got, it might be the boss, it might be the marketing budget. Might be, how do they justify to go? And secondly, why do they want to go? And in my opinion, more than half of it is just what you said. Probably a lot more than half is. They want to network. They want to have a good time. Sometimes they just want to go to a new, new country and hang out for a weekend and get the company to pay for it, you know? Well, that's it. I mean, I think, you know, a lot of companies these days, I see that, you know, a lot of, a lot of hip events do the whole, here's how you convince your boss to say yes, right? Some version yeah, of that, yeah. right? Here's, and this, and, and it's, it's a clever idea because I think that most bosses, including myself, know that conventions, you know, exhibits, these things are very important a lot of times um, for relationship building. But also, they're kind of paid company retreats, essentially, sometimes too, yeah. right? And I think that's that's there's but there's benefit to that, right? I, mean, I think there's benefit in you know helping people that are you work hard to go through it. But I, you know, having that, it's hard to say, hey, boss, give me you know a thousand dollars for the ticket and you know two grand worth of travel and expenses, all the rest of it to go do this thing, so I can go have a good time for five days, right? That's not yeah. really the going to get a whole lot of yeses to that. Um, yeah. And so you're right, like you have to figure out who are the stakeholders in that decision and figure out the way to move forward. But you know. I, I think there's nothing wrong with, you know, doing that. And then what I would say, you know, one of the things I always see lacking in that whole, hey, here's how you convince your boss to say yes to go to this conference is this idea of goal setting. So, okay, hey, boss, like I'm saying we're going here for this reason. I'm going to network to build relationships. Well, let's set a goal. I need to come back with three meetings on the books from potential JV partners or potential clients or potential resellers or whatever your business is, right? Whatever you, however you get measured and saying, hey, here's a finite goal I'm going to set for myself. I do it myself. It's funny. I was going through a lot of my things as I'm doing some rebranding stuff. I found some notes from actually a DCBKK back in 2015, uh, which is like kind of the first time I brought like the whole team with me. Like, it was like four or five people that came, flew into Bangkok. But when we did that, I said, look, in order for this to make sense for the business, here's the goals the business has to have. Yes, we're going to have fun. Yes, we're going to go out, you know, at, at night and we're going to go out, you know, have drink some coconut water and have some, you know, sing Thai and all the rest of that kind of great stuff. But here's the goals, right? We need to leave here with three, you know, five figure opportunities in the pipeline, which means, you know, initial meeting done face to face, second call, you know, follow up scheduled. Here's what else we need to do. We need to add, you know, 50 people to the mail list. We need to have, you know, record three podcast episodes with, you know, whatever. And so, like, create a real template of here's there is work here right there is work yeah. to be done let's focus on the right work the right work's probably not attend 80 percent of the calls or meetings or you know make sure i'm there for every single you know seo kind of talk or whatever it ends up being it's more about outcomes that matter to the business and i would say for me yeah, and anyone listening that ever does work for me or works for me now, you, you want me to say yes, come to me with a plan of here's how I'm going to benefit the business we're going. And it's not just the high level, here's who attends, more like here's the finite results we're going to target. And when we come back, we're sitting in the office and we'll see, how'd you do? You know, what's my grade? Do I get an A, a B, a C? Like, what's my grade here for what I did? Okay, cool. You said four meetings, you got three. Okay, not bad, right? But one of the meetings with a bigger company than we expected, fantastic. This is a win. Great. Yeah. Now what happens? The next time you come to me and say, hey, I want to go on these events, still going to have to do this process, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a yes, right? You know, based on you bringing me a plan. All right, so. Yeah, that's great. Do you think as the event organizer, you, you should be trying to directly or subtly communicate this to the person of, 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 of the, here's some goals you could get, like here's, like here are some here are some things people typically get from our event. They get sales leads. They get this. Do you right. do you kind of guide them on that as as the event? Yeah, I, I think that you know, again, this it's going to depend on the event. The events vary obviously in size and scope and scale and those kind of things. But if you know, if I look at kind of people, I think just do even like really big events. Well, you know, I haven't been in a couple of years, but you know, Polizzi from this the content marketing like the content marketing world and all that. So like one of the things that in the early days was that like it was a lot of more like you know hey you know and this break i want you to go introduce yourself to someone you don't know 
right? And so, you know, so like kind of understanding that we're not all outgoing people and we're not even outgoing people still have to, I have to talk myself into it sometimes, right? And so, um, but most people aren't like that. So how do you give that self, how do you direct them to go out and have a result? I mean, again, it's, your self-interest is if they have a result, they'll come back, right? Maybe next year they'll bring two, two of their peers with them, which is great. But I think it does come from a servant mindset. And, you know, one of the things I've changed in the last couple of years has been a much heavier focus on, you know, what we'll call customer success in the startup world. But this is idea that, you know, my goal is to help my customers have success with what I sell them. The more success they have, the faster they see that success, the more likely they are to stay my customers for longer. So there's absolutely a business benefit. There's absolutely a business focus to it, but your mindset shifts subtly. It's not, hey, how do I trick them into staying longer? How do I create a feature stack that you know, kind of locks them in? How do I make the, co- this, this, the switching costs so high they don't want to switch? So it becomes, goes away from tactics and tricks to my focus is on them having success. Yeah, and if yeah. they have success, they stick. If they don't have success, they leave. And sure. that mindset, I think, serves everything, services, product, software conferences if your goal is these are the stakeholders i got sponsors i got exhibitors and i got attendees or whatever those you know things are how do i make sure this you know persona a has success persona b has success and persona c has success and you test you experiment you try new things but i love the idea if an event organizer says it from the stage there's a lot more power from that than just you know hearing some random guy on a podcast um but i think that that as a event organizer especially if we look now that you know as we push all these events online and you know, again, I'm an events junkie, so I've been on a bunch of these. Uh, you know, I have not seen, I, I, I have not walked away yet from one of these online events saying, A, that was a, as it, close as good as the live event was, right? Yeah. Or, hey, that was a worth 100% of my day, right? And because, um, again, this goes back to, you're still asking for my time and attention. That, that sale is still happening, right? And so yeah. when you're asking for my time and attention, but I get to go meet someone, I get to go sponsor a round of drinks at the bar, right? To, to loosen people up to talk to me about, you know, that kind of stuff. Like that value is not being replicated online. Yeah. Um, and so, any way I've seen them try to replicate that value, I've not seen successful yet. So. Yeah, we we talked about this a bit before we started recording. And my so we I guess we run two main types of events apart from the direct Google for work. We run sort of certification training, and we run kind of conference style events. We call them summits. And we found that like. We've had some success doing this certification training online, you know, and that's maybe something we should have done earlier. But we've we've changed the format. Like whereas before it was a one or two day course, now we've got like five or more two hour sessions, like one a week or whatever, and and that's a success. With, with our summits, our conferences, we we just made a decision not to do. Well, we run them every month, but we just do them for free, and then yep. we chop up each of the sessions and put them on YouTube and do some promotion. And honestly, I, I'm I'm like you. I'm I'm not convinced about online events. I think. COVID is going to end eventually. The world will be a bit of a different place, but I don't think it's going to be fundamentally that different. I think people are going to be desperate to get back again. I, I, I personally wouldn't sit behind a screen all weekend and watch a conference. So what I would do is I might watch some different sessions at different times, and then I can get. I kind of think I can get it on YouTube anyway, you know. And I'm not. Yeah, gonna I get- think. It, yeah, the problem is, is, I mean, I, I don't know how you you break the 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 medium is the problem, right? And so even if I'm mentally prepared, and I have been on several of these, mentally prepared to dedicate the better part of a day, right, and not do anything else. The reality is, I'm sitting in front of my computer screen. It is too easy for me to go check mail, to go check into my CRM, to go respond to someone pop p- pinging me on Slack, and I try. You know, like it's, it's hard. Like attention spans are hard. You. Th- if you're a conference organizer, you know how hard that 9 a.m. session is on day two, right? The attendance, that's yeah. the lowest attendance you have in the whole thing because I went out drinking the night before or whatever. Yeah. So like you think about that now, take that. There's still, there's almost a social contract when you're live. People feel a, a responsibility or guilt of not attending. When you're anonymous on the other side of a screen, that's all gone, right? And so like you're really holding their attention is hard. Yeah. Um, and so I don't, I don't, I've not seen any, any medium change that's made this much more engaging. I've seen, and I've seen a lot of them. I've tried, you know, I've, I've been on like probably three or four of these, like really people trying to replicate their live event online. Yeah. Um, and like, I love online events. I think there's a place for them, but they need to be shorter, pithier, quicker, you know I mean? Like, you know, value driven, not, you know, not, Hey, here's our eight sessions back to back for the next six, seven, 10 hours. So I, I think you're right. I think, you know, it's, it's obviously a, it's a question everyone has to make, but I think that, what I'm seeing the majority of my clients, the majority of people I'm, I follow are, they're doing one of two things. They're either doing 
they're actually just saying, hey, we're going to do this. We're going to do it free, right? We know this is going to be, you know, this is going to be hard to charge for this thing. So we're going to do it free. Or they're just saying, look, we believe a big value prop of this is the ability to do the hallway track. The ability yeah. to do the sponsor dinner, the speaker dinner, all this kind of stuff. And so we're just not going to host one this year. Right. And so hopefully next year things will get back on track with it. Cause you're, I mean, as everyone now is caught up with us, everyone's been forced to become a remote employee, right? Everyone's been forced to kind of do this. I think that what you're going to see is the need for in-person is even higher. Like I know for me, I spent all day behind a computer. I crave in-person contact, right? I crave it. Like I need it, right? And so I need that event once a month or whatever that like I get on a plane and go see or whatever. So um, because I, I, I spend all day, all week, not you know, talking to people, sure. Zoom, that's fantastic. I get to see you. That's better than just a phone call. But it's not as good as hanging out, right? And and just you really being able to break off and 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 kind of connect, you know, in, in person. And I don't think that's gonna go away. I mean, we're tribal for a reason, and a big part of that is just we need that crave that human contact. And so I think that that becomes even more important as, you know, the new normal will be. I think a lot more people are going to work remote from now on, right? I mean, people, offices sure will reopen, but they're going to find out, you know what? I think, was it, uh, uh, I'm going to get it wrong. I think, was it, um, inst- is it, uh, um, I think it's Pinterest, I think, but so, some big software company uh, that I basically spent $89 million, paid the $89 million penalty fee to get out of their lease early because they've yeah. done the math and realized it's still going to save them more money than having a thousand people in this building and free lunches and car parking and all this kind of stuff. It's, Dude, it's, I heard Twitter will close. Now. I, haven't, I haven't checked out. Yeah. The software. I heard they I think too. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And I think you're, and obviously the tech always is the, is the, always the, the bellwether. They're always the kind of the first one. Um, but uh, you're going to find a lot of people that were very, very hesitant to talking about having their people work remotely now realize they're as, as efficient, if not more efficient when they can take a mental break and go play with the kids at lunchtime or, you know, and, and just the two hours they're not spending in the car. Right. And so things like that. So I think that that's going to happen. I think it's going to make in-person even more important from an event organizer point of view. And I think that that value prop is going to have to be better better defined than I'm defining it right now. But I think that's going to become a selling point will be, look, you know, do you, you know, you are not networking the way you used to. You're not just running into Bob from accounting or, you know, Susie from advertising or whatever. And so we're having to create these kind of, you know, times for you to, you know, to mingle with peers and colleagues and uh, customers and that sort of thing. So. And, and I think to be clear, like, like I don't think we don't blame people for trying it. I especially like, you know, I know people are really struggling this year, you know, and I know yeah. people, they run one conference, a small event, you know, that they're, they're in a community that all their money is from that one conference. I mean, the money yeah. might come throughout the year, but if that money goes, that's a year's income. And that's, that's a lot, you know, a lot of people are kind of handling yeah, I mean, it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I have a client that you know, I helped kind of build their sales team, you know, great business, um, but their entire business was selling, you know, high-end virtual reality equipment to booth, to booth ex- exhibitors, right? So all of a sudden their business goes from seven figures to zero overnight because events don't exist anymore. So um, man, get your hustle on, do what you got to do. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying that I have yet to see the value. And I, I, someone proved me wrong. It's, yeah, uh, it's, uh, exactly that's what I say to people. Like, I said, I'd love to be, I'd love to be wrong about right, it. Right, just because, right. just because I kind of chickened out of doing it, it doesn't mean people come. Right, exactly. That's it. Just because I don't have the answer doesn't mean there's no answer. I mean, in fact, in fact, in fact, of course there's an answer, and someone's probably crushing it. And if you if you are, email me. It's dt at vpsales.co. I'd love to hear how you're doing it because I'm going to steal your idea, give it to everyone else, right? Yeah. So, um, but uh, but no, well, and, and I, so, yeah, I don't think it's a matter of like it's wrong. I just I just haven't seen it effectively done yet. So. What do you think needs to change, and what's your prediction of when people are going to start meeting? In- You're like me; I, lo- I love going to conferences. Like I lo- even before I run my own, like I love it. You know, like yeah, I love meeting people. I like going to new places. You know, and for me, it's all about the, the connections and the whole which, and sometimes the sessions, but usually the connections. But what do you think? When are people going to start? What, what's it going to take? For people? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's normal. Like, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, look, I think this is this is this is hard not to get into. You know, everyone's everyone's so so politicized these days. So I'm gonna try to stay as politically neutral as possible on this, right? Especially because I'm in a country right now in America that's very politically divided. Um, here's what I'll say. I, I think that the introduction of sports here in America, I think, is gonna has lowered people's guards quite a bit. So I think people are gonna start meeting up a lot more pretty quickly now. Whether that's a good or bad thing, I would suggest it's probably not the greatest thing without you know a lot of protections and not taking it seriously. And so I think it's gonna happen. Now, whether that brings a second wave, I'm not a scientist, I'm not a prognosticator, I don't know. But I will say that 
my me personally, just my, you know, I'm in Florida, which is a state here in America, which isn't testing very much and is pretty much behind the curve on a lot of stuff and does have high. We self, you know, kind of isolated back in February. And, you know, the first four or five months, I was the only one going out. I'd go grocery shopping, you all masked up and come home and do the nuclear shower and the whole thing. And the kids and wife stayed at home. And I'll say that my wife and son are at Target right now shopping. So, like, I've lowered the guard a bit. Right. And so figuring out that the, the new normal means that my, my four-year-old can't be inside forever. Right. So am I going to ship him off to eight hours of school every day? No, I'm not going to do that right now. But am I going to let him go with his mother inside a store where he's not touching anything and we're coming home when we're wearing our mask? Yes. And so, you know, I've flirted with the idea of this month being the first time that we hold a Jinto again, which is our monthly kind of meetups where we kind of have a small crowd of people saying, Hey, if we go and we're socially responsible and we're not, hugging and shaking hands and we're wearing masks and we're, you know, isolating to a corner and, you know, we're taking temperatures. Maybe when people walk in and we're just kind of being good citizens to each other. Um, do we start small scale testing this? I'll say personally, yes, I'm going to start small scale testing, meeting people again, because I, my desire for that is high. And so, you know, I, I obviously not giving advice here because, you know, am I wrong? Possibly, but just my mindset's changed. I've changed from a hundred percent lockdown, you know, going to batten hatches the whole time to a, there's something innately human about contact with other people. And I, I need that. And so um, I think responsibly, I think is the way to do it. And so that's small crowds, you know, washing hands, wearing masks, whatever. Um, and so we're going to start potentially maybe this month's a little too quick. So maybe we'll do it next month, but I'm starting to talk to people and I'll say that the attitude of the people I'm talking to is far more open to that now than it was three, four months ago. Um, and this is with the understanding of we really haven't f solved anything yet, right? So uh, ho hopefully here in the next you know 12 months or so, whenever we have you know got a, some sort of you know cure for this, or um, it'll be even better. But yeah, I think it's going to happen. I think um, yeah, I think again personally, I'm going to start doing it. So yeah. and my yeah, I agree with everything you said. My opinion is as well. People that people think people are never going to start socializing like we did. I think that's, that's crazy. Think people, that's people, crazy. Memories. people forget pretty quickly. People and, are doing it now. People, are, people have been doing it the whole time. People, there, there are, there's a percentage of the population and in America, it's probably a third of people that yeah. change nothing about their behavior, right? <laughs> Refuse yeah. to wear a mask, you know, yeah, are going yeah. in marches are doing all kinds of stuff in big crowds, right? Going yeah, to yeah. Disney world. I mean, like things that, you know, aren't necessarily necessary things, but are doing it because, you know, like to them, their personal freedom is, is as a, a priority in their life. Right, yeah, their yeah. ability to move around. So again, like I'm not. There's no judgment here. It's just so there are people that are already doing. It. So this idea that it's never going to happen. Again, the extremes are always where the craziness is, right? So on either end. And so the reality is somewhere in the middle, right? Sure. And and so I think that the reality is, you know, people are going to congregate because we need it, and it's it's part of humanity. It's why we're tribal beings. And um, people, some people will do responsibly. Some people will be irresponsible. Like in all things in life. Um, but I think even responsible people are, are, are going to be, you know, taking, you know, some, you know, some version of risk. Is there a risk in this? Of course, there's some, there's more risk in me going out to meet seven, eight people, even with masks on, there isn't me staying home. Yes, yeah, that's yeah. more risk. Is it a manual risk? I believe it is, right? Is it a risk I'm willing to take? I'm pretty sure it's a risk I'm willing to take now. But again, your mileage may vary, so. Cool. Hey, David, really just final, really quick point, I guess. Look, I want to be respectful of your time. A lot of, a lot of great stuff. Uh, really quickly, like, if it, if it is a quick answer, like what, what's like, what stage should people start thinking about? We haven't talked about CRMs and automated because yep. I, I got quite like, what, at what stage should they think about that? Cause I got quite an embarrassing confession that like, we ran, I mean, 2019, we did over 300 events with mostly small training events and all kinds of things. A couple of big ones. Well, I don't have a CRM. I don't have any, any way to track anything, anyone that communicate. I know it's stupid. Like, at what point should people do this from their first event or should they kind of yeah. wing it and just keep a spreadsheet in the beginning or what stage yeah. should they start so, getting into this? Either? It's a great question. And no, no, none of my answers are ever short, unfortunately. But so I would say that um, here's how I look at it. I, I, I like to think of myself as a very pragmatic. I think my kind of my first thing about these answers is I hate pie in the sky, perfect world scenario answers. And so um, it's, that's not the way the world works. And so generally what I say is this, if it's working for you, I don't care, right? If what works for you, you're the, you're the founder, you're doing the selling, you're doing everything else and spreadsheets and post-it notes and all that are working for you now, awesome, bro. Like, you know, or, you know, you know whatever, whatever. That's, that's fantastic. When it's time to move is kind of a couple of things. One is if you are thinking of having anyone else help on this at any point, 
you know, you have to have a process that's, you know, that's 80% dialed in or, or, you know, or kind of documented in some way. And documentation can be a video, it doesn't have to be like written. But, you know, once you're starting thinking about inviting other people into that process, I think that's when you start really thinking about, you know, having a decent tool set, you know. So in the, we used to call this sales ops in the good old day. Now we're calling it rev ops or revenue operations, which is the idea of these tools and processes that underlie all these kind of things together. And so, you know, if you're doing it yourself, you know, it's working, don't change it. You know, the last thing I want to do is come and tell, tell people that they've got to do all this stuff and change it and it hurts their business. Um, but if you're thinking about adding other people in, you should. If you're having challenges scaling, you should. But also I think it fundamentally comes from a misunderstanding of what these tools should do. And so a CRM is perfect. So a CRM, I think, is the linchpin for everything in, in, on the sales, on the revenue side of the business. But it, it's not like the good old days where it was a tool for management to keep tabs on you or to make sure that intellectual property didn't walk out the door. Now it should be an enablement tool. So you don't, you shouldn't have to remember wh what you have to do with each client. Like, hey, I've got to send a proposal here or follow up here. Uh, like your CRM should do that for you. You should have it set up that you've got a defined process. So really, what it does is it just it removes a a, a, ne a necessary part of that that memory that brain ram you have. So I come in every day and I say I don't have to remember what I have to do. I've got a list of tasks that I have to do for each account for each, and they're all in different stages. I don't have to spend any of my time worrying about wondering what I have to do next or worrying that I'm not staying on top of it. So I would say that's kind of if you are feeling like things are slipping through, if you're not following up the way you should, if you know there's some gut feeling gnawing at you that hey I should be better at this, then you're probably right to start thinking about that. Start with a CRM, start small. Again, don't boil the ocean. You don't have to go crazy. Um, most of the advice you're gonna get is gonna be like really third, fourth, fifth level device, which is not where you need to be. The most important thing is have a place where you put everything, right? So all of my sales communication, all of my you know proposals, all of my follow-up with emails, all of my all that kind of stuff lives in one place, whatever that place happens to be. I've seen people do it with a project management tool. I've seen them obviously with a CRM. I've seen them do it with you know, their own notes folders, whatever. I don't care what system, but start devising a system to take that off of your head so you don't have to remember all the time. I said post-it notes, please don't do the post-it notes, but you know, so but the, 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 whatever your digital version of that could be, that's fine. Um, but I will say that, you know, it's a joke about post-it notes, but one of the things I have to, bad habits I break is I'm a note taker. I have been for a long time and that was physical notes for a long time because I took the physical meetings. The thing is what happens with physical notes is, is that you'll turn the page, you'll forget about it. And yeah. so you'll have a great notebook full of things to do, but you'll never actually do them because once the page, you're literally turning the page on it and mentally you've turned the page. So turning that digital notebook, uh, turn that physical notebook into a digital version just helps because you can't turn the page so quickly. And so it's kind of there in front of you. Oh shit, I've still got to do that Johnson report or whatever I have to do. So yeah, yeah, great. I, I saw there's a product people are talking about, like it, it's actually a notebook, which actually digi digitizes yeah. everything. Right. Yes. The name. It looks really cool. Yeah, I've seen them too. They, they had great success. Real quick. They're the ones that they got a lot of buzz now because I think uh, um, they got turned down. They got laughed on Shark Tank. They went to Shark Tank. Shark yeah, Tank told yeah, them they're yeah. stupid or whatever. But now they're you know whatever eight million dollar business or whatever. So yeah, it's great. It's great. And I see. I still think I still take physical notes just because there's something mental. There's a mental connection between my note taking and my brain, right? That I, that I really enjoy. Um, but now how I do that, I finally went ahead and splurged about a whiteboard for the office because again, I feel better with a whiteboard marker in my hand. Like it's how I kind of freestyle and how I put things ideas together. There's something there, but I know that I've got turn that whiteboard into something digital in order for yeah, it to actually yeah. be action. I'm a whiteboards. Like the, the, the wall opposite me, I've actually I put whiteboard paint on the whole wall and I just yeah. use that as a whiteboard. It helps me just kind of prioritize and kind of systematize ideas, but I know that nothing happens until I turn it into a task in my CRM. True, it's true. Damien, look, I want to thank you very much. Uh, it's been tons of tons of value, which is uh, the, the best thing about doing this podcast. Where, like, where can people find you online, and, and what, and who are you? Who can work with you? Like, what sort of people could benefit? Sure. Get chat with you. Yeah, so I work exclusively with founders. Um, so founders of B two B companies, either service or software companies, um, they're looking to scale their business. Uh, historically, what that's been is I've helped people um, kind of go from six figures to seven. These days, the one on one work I do is more of seven figures, trying to get to eight. Um, so they're ready to start building a team. Um, the primary kind of domain these days is vpsales.co. Um, so you can email me, dt at vpsales.co, at Damian Thompson on Twitter. Um, I am turning sales ability, which was historically my coaching company, turning it into a training academy, uh, which I'll have a bunch of training tools for the people that are trying to go from six to seven um, yeah. and be releasing that here in the next month or two. Um, with a couple of different promotions, uh, some free stuff, some paid stuff, all the rest of it. But uh, just if you uh, reach out to me uh, at dt at vpsales.co, uh, happy to kind of point you in the right direction. Uh, you know, no sales pitch, anything like that. Uh, the vast majority of people I talk to I, I, are not about sales. It's, I can't help them at that stage. It's just about trying to, you know, a rising tide lifts all ships. And just I, I, I love 
of remote businesses. I love online business. I love that uh, entrepreneurship. And so trying to help our whole industry as a whole rise and, and, and point you in the right direction. And so, yeah, feel free to email me. Feel free to reach out to me on Twitter. Um, either one I'm pretty responsive on. So. Cool. Damien, I want a huge thank you for coming and best of luck with the business. Thanks, man.